Hey, welcome to this week's episode, a part of our thermostat series, Fruit of the Spirit. This week, we continue in our series with the fruit of faithfulness. Enjoy today's message. Well, good to be before you all tonight. How are y'all feeling? Awesome, awesome. As Pastor Todd said, my name is Taylor, and I'm super excited to continue on with our sermon series, Fruit of the Spirit, Cultivating Christ-like Character. And so we've been coming out of a particular passage, that's Galatians. And so that's a letter actually written by the Apostle Paul. He's a follower of Jesus, and he's writing to these people in Galatia. And they're in a certain situation. They're trying to manage the differences of what does it mean to walk by the Spirit and not walk by the flesh? What does it mean to follow Jesus in faith and freedom but not be consigned to the constraints of the law? And so that's a little context for you before we get into our particular passage. And Lord's going to bring it up right now. Here it is. Galatians 5, starting in 16. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Moving on. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Wow, that's a long list. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now pause. If I can be honest with you all tonight, and can I be honest with you all? All right, cool. Thank you. Thank you. I used to not like reading that last chunk. It kind of like got under my skin. It kind of like called me out. It made me uncomfortable. But I was comforted by the fact that the Holy Spirit, using Paul to speak to these Galatians, they're talking about cultivating the garden of our souls here. And just like any other garden, there's going to be the fruit that you want to cultivate, and there's also going to be some spiritual weeds. And that's what he's talking about here. And those of us who follow Jesus Christ, there's no condemnation if those weeds happen to pluck up. He's letting us know what those things are. And so when we see those things that are starving and taking and stealing nutrients from the fruit that we actually want to cultivate, what do we do with weeds? We reach down, we pluck it up, we throw it out. And that, in a way, is repenting and going back to try to cultivate this fruit of the spirit. You guys following me? Great, great. And so now on to our key verse. And you all know this by now. This is the seventh time. So let's all read it together, all right? Are we good? So, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Awesome, beautiful. All right, let us pray. Well, Father God, we thank you so much that you have gathered us here tonight, God. We welcome your spirit here, and in fact, you're already here, Jesus. I ask that you would use me, and you would increase in me, and I would decrease, God, that you would speak to your children, you would speak to your people exactly what they need to hear, God. We ask for open hearts, open minds, and we ask for breakthrough and transformation and freedom tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right. So as we're going for our seventh time around, I do want to do a little recap. So last week, Justin delivered a wonderful word on goodness, and there was a charge, there was a call, as you guys are following Jesus Christ, that we don't just leave it here at Thermostat, right? We want to cultivate that spirit in our lives, with our neighbors, with our community, with our fellow co- coworkers and students. And so 
Justin talked about how can we experience the goodness of God? How can we be good to each other? Did anybody remember to do that? Well, that's all right. As we're going to start again with this seventh fruit of the Spirit, it's faithfulness. And remember and keep in mind that what God does tonight, he just doesn't want to keep it right here. He wants to transform us. He wants to empower us to go out and live a life of faithfulness. And so as I was looking at that word faithfulness, I was like, wow, I have a very dense word here. It's like there's like three words in that one word there. There's faith, there's faithful, there's faithfulness. And I'm like, wow, I have this great and awesome task to figure out what Paul is talking about, about this fruit of the spirit. And so I did my little research. I looked up online and this word faithfulness in the Greek, it's actually pistis, pistis. It's like that drink that you probably have had in Chicago XA events, pistis. <laughs> that's exactly what it is. So next time you guys drink that stuff, that's the faith, the fruit of the spirit. And so I want to give you all a working definition of pistis. What we're going to be dealing with tonight is faith. Pistis means faith. It doesn't mean faithfulness. It's the same faith that we hear Jesus saying, um, go, my daughter, your faith has made you well. It's the same faith that Jesus is saying, if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, you can do this and that. That's the same faith that we're working with. And so this working definition, if you go to the next slide, Lauren, is God's divine persuasion of the reliability of his character. That's our working definition tonight. Faith is God's divine persuasion of the reliability of his character. And so naturally, if you hear if somebody is a person of faith or if you hear that somebody has faith, naturally you're like, faith in what? What do you have faith in? And I want to give us a little quote from a Christian apologist. He's somebody that explains the Christian faith to just prime our minds as we think about this word of faith. The Christian faith is an objective faith meaning it must have an object that is worthy of faith. Salvation comes not from the strength of our beliefs, but from the object of our beliefs. Yes, salvation comes through faith, but the merit of faith depends upon the object believed, not the faith ourselves or faith itself. And so as we think about this, I have two questions for you. Those of you all who know me know that I love to ask questions, and I don't like to ask just the, the regular questions. I like to ask the questions that really get deep, right? And so these two questions are, who or what do we have faith in and why? Who or what do we have faith in and why? So as I'm thinking about this myself, I might think about my parents. I might think about the Amazon Prime delivery person that I know is going to deliver my package within 24 hours, give or take a, a minute or so. You might even think about having faith in yourself. And that's a great thing. Like, I don't want to discourage you from not having faith in yourself. Um, that's how you get through life. But I also find it funny that sometimes as we have faith in ourselves, we've developed patterns in our lives, you know, because we can't trust ourselves and we know that we can't trust ourselves. So I'm going to take, for instance, me, all right? So I'm not a morning person, even though I value getting up early. And so my phone is my alarm clock, and I know that if I set my alarm for 6.30 in the morning and my phone is like right by my bedside, and if it goes off with closed eyes and just a very lethargic gesture, I'm just going to reach and turn off the alarm. And then I'm going to go back to sleep, and it's going to be 8 o'clock when I wake up, and I'm just going to be very disappointed in myself. 
But because I know that I can't have faith in 6.30 a.m. Taylor, I put my phone in the next room, so when I hear that thing, I have to get up, I have to trample through my room that is probably messy, I have to turn on the light, I have to find the alarm, and by the time that I turn it off, I'm awake, and I'm like, might as well brush my teeth, might as well get on with my day. I'd like you all to think that that works all the time. It doesn't, but those are the things in our life that we have put in place because we know that sometimes we disappoint ourselves. Maybe it's our impulse buy of a latest cool gadget, or maybe it's us watching a movie instead of writing that essay that we need to write, or maybe it's us lashing out on a loved one or an individual because of our insecurities and our hurt. So sometimes it's easier to think about having faith in something that is a little bit um, more mechanical or inanimate. I'm going to go back to my phone again, the ever cool gadget. And so my phone also functions as a calculator, as does yours, hopefully, unless you're Cameron. So I know that if I type in in my calculator phone, 563 divided by 27, and it gives me an answer, I know that most of the time it's just going to be right, pretty much all the time. I don't have to do the long division. I don't have to do the work. It's right. Or take the sun, for instance. I know that we're going to be revolving around the sun. The earth is going to keep on rotating. And eventually, we'll get out of this 40-degree, dismal, dreary weather. And we'll get on to the 70 and 80-degree weather that we know and love, right? Here in Chicago. It'll happen. It'll come. So it's good to have faith and reliability in these things because of the consistencies of the past. We are able to determine if something is trustworthy or not. We are able to determine if we can have faith in that. And with our experiences, with our models, with our graphs, with our sciences, we can get a pretty accurate picture of what's going to happen in the future. But even with those models, there is still some mystery, and that's where faith comes in. And so my first point and my main point, I want to submit to you all tonight that God wants to be the primary object of our faith. God wants to be the primary object of our faith why you ask like well he's not only the one that made us he's not only the one that made your parents the amazon prime delivery person he's the one that made the sun the galaxies that have this type of fine-tuned rhythm to them it keeps everything in pace it keeps everything on track so that we can continue to live for the future he's the one that ordained it he's the one behind the whole thing and as we can see the order that has been in place in the universe and in our lives we can know that the one who made it is even more orderly and even more faithful. So because of those things that he has made, we can know two things about God's character, that he's relational and that he's reliable. He's relational and he's reliable. Let's go to another verse where it highlights a little bit more of God's, God's character. So it's 2 Timothy 2.11.3. Here's a trustworthy saying, if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will disown us. But catch this all. Catch this. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. I think this verse is super powerful. I love the if-then statements. If you get this, this is what happens. If this, this is what happens. But there's one quality about God. There's one characteristic about God that doesn't change no matter what you input into it. And that is his faithfulness. That is his faithfulness, everyone. And so God is faithful not because of us. He is faithful because that is who he is. And it is that that keeps 
him faithful to us. God is reliable and he's relational. Can I get an amen? Amen. There we go. And so I'm going to break this down in a little bit different way. All right. We're going to switch to this side. All right. So don't freak out, people. It's math. Woohoo. Yay. So you know those letters that are sometimes numbers, but they change a lot? What are those things called? There we go, Cameron. There we go. Thank you. But there's also those things in the equations that never change. There's those things that are constant, no matter what the input is. What are those called? There we go, Lauren. Thanks. Awesome. They're called constants. And so this is a little bit of a rabbit trail. But I used pi not only because March 14th was just last couple days ago, but because pi is a constant number, but it's also called a transcendental constant. Pi is a defined number, but it actually never ends. And so it goes on to infinity. And maybe when I think about pi, I like to think about God. He's always constant, but he never quite ends. And as you're journeying in your faith towards God, you'll always discover a new digit, a new number, a new characteristic about him, but then still like him. And so next time you're going through algebra class, geometry, and you see pi, think about the faithfulness of God. How about that? That's something to encourage each other for tonight. So God is constant. No matter what is going on in our world, no matter what the inputs are, no matter the variables with your heart, with my heart, God is constant. And so God's confidence in his character allows him to be confident and consistent in his love showed toward us. The next slide says, because of God's character, he is faithful to us. I've been using faith and trust interchangeably, but I want to move on to faithful. Faithful I'll use um, as a synonym for loyalty. And loyalty implies undeviating allegiance to a person, cause, institution, etc., which one feels morally bound to support or defend. God is faithful to us. I want to share a personal story with you all tonight, and I'm going to share um, a couple pictures of my beautiful family. Um, these are my grandparents, actually. And so before we get into each individual one, I really do want to highlight this woman in the center. Um, her name is Catherine, and she was my granddaddy's first wife. She's on my maternal side. And Catherine, every night, she would take her five children as they're going to bed, and she would have them pray for their father to get to know who Jesus Christ was. She would just consistently do that with her children. Now, Catherine died before I was born, about a year before I was born, and she never got to see her husband come to know who Jesus was. But she had faith in the person that she was praying to. The object of her faith was God. And even though she didn't see that, she was still faithful and consistent with that prayer in her life. And sometimes for everyone, speaking to the room, we're going to be planting things and we're going to have faith in something that we might not see the full evidence of for that lost family member, for that dream job, for that person in our lives to, to get off of substances. We might not see it in our lifetime, but are we trusting in the one who is faithful and eternal? And so, as I said, Catherine died before I was born, but she gave me my middle name. So it's Taylor Catherine Shelton, and she's so important in my life. I want to highlight the individuals on the left. They're my paternal grandparents and also the individuals on the right. My grandfather remarried again to this wonderful woman, and she had been so instrumental in my life of faith. But 
Alzheimer's disease runs in my family, and it actually affected my paternal grandmother and my maternal grandfather. So that's on two sides of the family, Alzheimer's disease. And if you don't know much about it, it's a neurodegenerative disease that pretty much eats your brain. So you begin to notice changes in your behavior. You forget things. You forget your own family members. And it's very devastating, and you eventually become a shell of the individual that you once were. And so that's one of the reasons that I majored in neuroscience when I was in college. I wanted to know more about this disease that was ravaging my family. And even though they had this disease that you would have to feed them, you would have to bathe them, you would have to um, dress them, you would have to tuck them in at night. And I saw my grandparents remain faithful, remain loyal to the one that they had promised their lives to, to the one that they had committed their lives to. It was a beautiful thing to see their faithfulness. And even though this disease, Alzheimer's, runs in my family, there's also faithfulness that runs in my family. And I'm going to claim that. I'm not going to claim Alzheimer's disease, but I'm going to claim faithfulness in my life. And just like that, God wants us to know that he wants to let us inherit that trait of faithfulness in our lives, that that is a genetic trait of the body of Christ, of faithfulness. It's a fruit of the spirit that we want to cultivate. Amen? Amen. I love how there is this example of even though my grandparents, the ones that were affected with Alzheimer's disease, couldn't do anything to earn that merit or favor. It was just the other person's commitment and love for them. That's the same thing that God has for us. So Romans 5, I'm going to hit you with another verse. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we are still sinners, Christ died for us. Again, it's not nothing that we did. It's not anything that we earned. But because of God's faithful character, God sent his son seeking after us to die for us. And that's a beautiful thing, displaying God's faithfulness to us. And so you might say, Taylor, that's all well and good. That's great. But what happens when you have faith in something and it just falls through? When you get disappointed? When somebody that you love betrays your trust or someone didn't show up when you you thought they would in your life or someone who said that they loved you, actually it didn't turn out to be that. And it just seems like the world gets pulled from under you or the rug gets pulled out from under you. Like that clock that's the rhythm in your life just starts to have an arrhythmia where you just can't really project what the future will look like anymore. And it's disorienting and it's frustrating. I'm sure you all have felt that. You felt jaded, cynical, apathetic, depressed, angry, confused when something that you have put your faith in just doesn't go through. And whether we like to think it or not, that has happened with people and that's also happened with God in our lives. And it's also happened with me. And so four years ago when I was graduating Northwestern and I was about to enter into the world as a newly graduated individual, I was leading small group, as Pastor Todd mentioned. I was um, reading my Bible. I knew how to explain my faith and why I believed it. And it was great. And I feel like I was deceiving a lot of people because in the inside, I felt empty. I felt like, man, God, like, is this all there is? Like, I can recite some Bible verses and I can go to small group and... That's it? Like, I want to feel your presence. I want to feel your, your comfort, your love, your power. And I want to see that in my life, but I wasn't. 
And so I remember having a talk with God. It was a serious talk, y'all. And it was an ultimatum of, like, God, you need to show up in my life in the next, like, six minutes. Not six minutes, six months, per se. Let's give him a little bit more time. And then if you don't, like, it's just going to be peace out, and I'm going to continue on without you because that looked easier. And so as I was going on after graduation, I had committed six months of my life to serve in the inner city in Kansas City amongst individuals that were homeless, had abused substances, were coming out of gangs, or um, coming out of incarceration. And so I was living with them and also in the midst of a prayer room, community center, food pantry, all of that crammed into one. And so I was coming into, um, I was coming in as a spiritually broken person amongst a whole bunch of spiritually broken people, but they were the most beautiful people that I have met. So faithful, so strong, so wonderful, and so inspiring to see how even in the midst of darkness, even in the midst of brokenness, they still reached out for faith in God. And through those times and through those hours of being in a prayer room, of constantly, I wasn't really even seeking God. It was just being in the midst of his presence. God started to reveal his character to me. He revealed his character first, and then through knowing about his character, he revealed to me who he had created me to be. And I think those orders are very important. We first have to know who God is, and then he can reveal who he has created us to be. And that's what happened in my life. I thought it would be some really big boom, some really great miracles, some signs and wonders and dreams, but that's not what happened in my life. He slowly convinced, he used his divine persuasion about the reliability of his character in my life. He built my own faith. There's this quote by this guy named Cy Rogers, and I want to share it with you because I think it's very powerful. It says, I had an encounter with God who ceased to be an idea to debate. He was no longer some philosophical point of view or a religious option on a spiritual buffet. He became a real life presence. And although I couldn't touch him tangibly, I couldn't deny his tangible impact. And I think that really succinctly describes what happened in my faith, in life, in my faith journey with God. And so this story is my own, and my faith is my own. And as much as I would like to give it to you, I can't. And I say this in the most loving way, you have to get your own. You have to get your own faith. And I realize that I have been living off of a borrowed faith, maybe from the faith of my grandparents, maybe from the faith of other people who had great, awesome testimonies. But God is the one that was seeking after me as I was trying to just even have the mustard seed of faith to pursue God. He was already seeking after me, and he had something for me if I would just stay faithful and be filled with faithfulness. I want to um, tell you all about just this God that seeks after us. And the band com com can come up and play, but I want to start with Hebrews 11. It says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must first believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. It comes through faith. But God isn't the, just the type of God to say, oh, yes, just have faith in me, just trust in me in my holy book. God, 2,000 years ago, actually came down in the flesh. He lived amongst us as Jesus Christ. 
Hey, thanks again for tuning into this week's episode as we are continuing in our thermostat series, Fruit of the Spirit, cultivating a Christ-like character. Hey, throughout the series, we want to remind and encourage you that Holy Spirit is the one that produces a fruit in our life and brings forth the fruit of His Spirit in our life. As we're entering into spring break, we won't be back until April, but until then, continue to abide in Jesus and God bless you. We'll see you back here soon.